0: Right. good afternoon my name is the cook and i am the director of business development and strategy in the deputy mayor's office for planning and economic development and welcome to Demped's weekly recovery check-in uh before we begin i'd like to just cover some economic recovery uh related announcement very announcements very quickly the mayor uh director Christy whitfield from dslbd director sean townsend from the Mayor's Office of Nightlife and Culture uh, along with uh, Demped and local business improvement district partners like Downtown D.C. Uh, bid and Anacostia Bid have extended the pickup deadlines for citywide PPE supplies. And so the two locations that uh, pickups have happened have been extended through March 4th. Uh, uh, from 9 to 4 p.m. Those two locations are the downtown DC bid distribution location, which is at the convention center for all eight wards, and then also the Anacostia bid distribution location center, which is at Mapleview Flats, uh, for wards 7 and 8. So again, those, uh, PPE supplies, which is first come, first serve, uh, is, has been extended through March 4th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So please, Make sure you stop by those two locations uh, to pick up your PPE uh, care packages. Uh, Or you can also go to the coronavirus.dc.gov for more details. Uh, Without further ado, what I'd love to say is happy Women's History Month. I'm going to say that one more time. Happy Women's History Month. Uh, We're very excited uh, to really share with you uh, today this recovery check-in, which in replace of our economic recovery check-in, we're actually going to talk about uh, supporting our female rock stars and residents. And so before I introduce our first guest, what I do want to do is remind everybody to, If you'd like to ask a question, uh, uh remind you that on the phone lines, be sure, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter, to hashtag DC Hope. Remember to press, press zero so that you can be in the queue. We would love to entertain and take any questions that you might have. So please remember, we would love to hear from you. Um, with that... I'd love to get into the meat and taters of today and introduce you to uh, one of the most amazing women that I have had the privilege of working with, Director Jennifer Porter. Uh, she is the Director of the Mayor's Office of Women's Policy and Initiatives. And Jennifer, I'd love to thank you and welcome you today.
1: What do we have in store? Well, we are celebrating Women's History Month, and I'm so excited. Happy Women's History Month, women of Washington, and to the amazing, uh, dynamic women across the district who are working every day to make sure that women are thriving. I'm Jennifer Porter. As you mentioned, I have the honor of serving our mayor as the executive director of the Office on Women's Policy and Initiatives. What is that? The Office of Women's Policy and Initiatives is Mayor Bowser's office that works to amplify government to women. Mayor Bowser has made amazing investments across our district, uh, across agencies, and we work with our sister agencies and government partners to make sure that you all know about the great things that we have to help to enhance the health and wellness of women and their families, uh, creating pathways to the middle class and economic empowerment for women, as well as civic engagement. We know that when women are at the table, when women are in office and in leadership, we know that the entire community thrives. And so we make sure that we create uh, opportunities that further enhance the mayor's vision to prioritize women uh, in the district. So we're excited because Women's History Month, we know that women rock all year, but Women's History Month is really our time to reintroduce ourselves to the city, to invite folks uh to learn about the mayor's programming for women, her initiatives for women. And we're excited to be here with you today. I think we're making uh women's history today, I think with the first all female uh district economic recovery uh town hall panel. So I'm excited. <laughs> and we have a rock star panel today. Um and so as I shared, we uh have programming all year round that uh the mayor supports. Uh and I'll give just a few examples of of things that we're doing. Uh, for this month, for Women's History Month, Women's History Month, we affectionately call it. And so we're excited that the programming that Mayor Bowser has invested in, including uh, with our economic empowerment programs, we have a partnership where we're teaching women how to negotiate higher salaries. We know as our economy uh, is gonna roar back open, we know that there are women that are entering second careers who are going back to work. And Mayor Bowser has made an investment to make sure that as they go back to work, they know the tips and uh, those negotiation strategies to make sure they're making top dollar. Um, we also have some great programming for our health. We know that for women, uh, our health is our wealth. And, and sometimes uh, it's a challenge for women to invest in our health. And so, Mel Bowser knows that, and she's curated some programming to help us to prioritize women. So, we have Well Women Wednesdays. Our initiative that is promoting women's self-care and uh, sharing strategies and investments that the mayor has made across the district uh, to enhance women's health. We're also excited uh, to invite you all to um, our virtual programming this year. We are honoring uh, the sheroes of the district. And so uh, next Monday, International Women's Day, we're asking everyone to join Mayor Bowser in celebrating the sheroes in your life. So we'll be engaging folks on social media. We want you all to join us. And we know our partners here on our panel will also be, uh, joining in and celebrating sheroes across the city. So you can actually, uh, join us, follow us on social media, uh, at, at DC Mopi. That's at DC Mayor's Office on Women's Policy and Initiatives for more information, for links to the event, and to find out ways that you can connect with Mayor Bowser and the amazing women across our city who are doing great things to continue to help women thrive. So with that, welcome to Women's History Month and welcome to Mayor Bowser's Women's Economic Recovery (laughs) Check-in. I'm excited that this our special guests for this panel are heroes in their own right. And uh, we're so excited to have them join us. And Mayor Bowser has really uh, been strategic in how we are highlighting and investing in women in leadership. And so I'm excited today that we have as our special guest for today's uh, check-in, Donna Cooper. Donna is the regional president of PEPPO. She is a mentor. She is a friend and just a fantastic leader who we are so excited that's here today to share with us. So Donna, please, please take it away.
2: Thank you very much, Jennifer. I am honored to be here on today. I wanted to recognize Sabangale, but before I get started, I really wanted to indicate that I wanted to recognize a true shero who is our leader for the District of Columbia, Mayor Muriel Bowser. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge her on today. I'm going to take off my mask because I'm having challenges in speaking, but wanting to get started. One of the first things I wanted to share with you um, when we look at our backgrounds, and we look at the bio of individuals, it's usually so very structured in reference to who we are. But I wanted to share a little bit about my personal background with everyone. And that's a part of my journey. I'm originally from South Carolina. And when I reflect on South Carolina, I am from one of the areas. it's Williamsburg County, King Street, South Carolina that was always designated as one of the most economically challenged counties uh, in the country. But one of the things that I want to highlight about that particular piece is the fact that regardless of socioeconomic type differences, through perseverance, dedication, as well as focus, integrity, values, strength of communities, you can achieve anything. And one of the most significant impacts in my life was realistically the upbringing and the experiences that I've had through my family, my parents. And because it's Women's History Month, I wanted to reflect on my mother as well as my grandmother, both who are deceased. And I'll share a story because from my perspective, we have an awesome responsibility. Those that came before us, went through a whole lot for us to be at the table. And when I think about my grandmother, and that's on my mother's side of the family, I wanted to share a story. Uh, My mother lost her father when she was only around eight years of age. And he was a brick mason, he was a builder, and he was electrocuted one day in a boiler room. So my grandmother had two, I'm sorry, three children. Uh, My mother had two sisters. And when they came to her to share what had occurred, of course, that was very traumatic. But coupled with that, my grandfather owned property in King Street, South Carolina. And they came to her almost a day or two later and told her that he had sold the property to someone for a paltry amount of funds. Needless to say, again, dealing with the issues of race, property, the property was taken from her. Uh, But through perseverance, uh, through focus as well as attention, she reared these three young ladies who became extremely successful in terms of values and culture, and they were responsible for one, myself. And that's a story I share because as women, we face many different challenges within our lives. But I want to focus on someone else who was my father's mother. And this is on the business side. My grandmother on my father's side was a business partner with my grandfather. And they started a business in 1929. And why I say 1929, that was the heart of the Depression. Again, focus, determination, as well as attention. And they started that particular business in partnership. It was dry cleaning. We were not wealthy, but what it did, it gave my family a voice because they were independent they were not working for anyone. And in that particular vein, I was exposed to business. My father was also very much so involved in the civil rights movement, helping to bring Martin Luther King Jr. to our county, and always trying to get people registered to vote. I literally used to follow him around to a lot of meetings on the political side and community engagement. And that's where I saw the power of people working together advocating and organizing and how that could ultimately make a difference. So, when I think about the 360 degree, I was exposed to politics, government, community, as well as service, hence my particular pathway in life. I want to go to the next slide. Um, Some people wouldn't think of this, but I work with PEPCO, I am the region president. And the reason that I'm connected to Pepco in the way that I am is because Pepco is a service industry. In everything that I do, I have to be connected to people, community, as well as service. Our company serves this particular region for well over a century, and there are several core values that align with the values that I do have. We have to drive inclusivity. We have to advise We have to support communities. We have to go beyond our traditional core business values. We have to do those things that are outside of that comfort zone sometimes. We serve 359,000 customers. Diversity is important as I share it from a procurement perspective. Every day we're trying to drive and ensure that we're providing opportunities to local as well as diverse business enterprises. Also. When we talk about the issues that we're confronting, we cannot forget that we're confronting climate change. We are also trying to ensure that we are advancing policies as well as advancing programs and initiatives that are going to ensure that our customers are prepared, that our grid is prepared, that we're providing affordable service to our customers, and that we're being responsive to their respective needs. We have to be modern in what we're doing. And we have to advance different initiatives, such as electric vehicles, microgrid-type concepts, solar. So these are some of the things that we're doing. Wanting to turn to the next slide, please. When we talk about the pandemic, the pandemic has been so impactful to us, and we had to pivot. Going back to a concept that I talked about earlier, perseverance. When this pandemic hit us, in March, and it was before March, based on all the statistics and the information that we have, we had to ensure that we were positioned to continue to operate. One of the things that struck me is how valuable our service is and was and will continue to be. People have to have power in order to do anything, so your quality of life is significantly impacted. So how did we pivot to ensure that our essential workers were still in the field, ultimately ensuring that we were upgrading our infrastructure? How are we ensuring that our back office operations were continuing to work? Needless to say, from my perspective, it was a seamless in many respects, and we're privileged in that sense, transition, because we continued our operations, delivering at the highest of levels. Next slide, please. One of the things that's critical, and I said this earlier, it's not simply about our core business keeping the power on. A critical piece of this as well is how do we support communities, and I want to talk about how we did that. From resources to support small businesses, and that's ensuring that grants were provided to small businesses. Resources for students who were in school at the University of the District of Columbia who did not have the resources to continue, providing that level of support. Ensuring that customers were not being disconnected who could not pay their bills. So, suspending disconnections, advancing programs and payment arrangements to meet customers where they are, connecting with our communities and providing assistance. Next slide, please. Something else that we did, when we talk about the pandemic, there was something else that was magnified at that time. The issue of racism, which has never been eradicated within our country. The social injustice that was really pronounced with the issues around George Floyd. It was just, I can't even state the impact and the implications of what we witnessed with that but that was something that did not was not new or not fresh from the time I was probably two years of age I sat with my father and he taught me about the things that African Americans were ultimately experiencing so while we were working on addressing issues around the community and social we partnered with the Washington Interfaith Network and why place this here is because this particular partnership between PEPCO and WIN that we entered into on January 28th, that particular agreement is going to mean so much to our communities. It is advancing our core values around ensuring that we're connecting employees in the District of Columbia with opportunities within our company, that we're ultimately connecting small business enterprises with opportunities within our company that we are focusing on African-Americans when it comes to employment opportunities, when it comes to contracting opportunities, that we are ensuring that our contractors and subcontractors are paying prevailing wages, that we're advancing, I talked about earlier, grid modernization, but in that equation, we're ensuring that local business enterprises are exposed to all of the opportunities that are coming online And that they are familiar and that they have a chance and an opportunity to compete and last but not least we are exploring advancing a capital fund to ensure that minority businesses who traditionally do not have access to resources do next slide please i wanted to be very clear on this piece and next slide today we're talking about women and there was a reference point of Sheroes. There are so many individuals that we are standing on the shoulders of today. The reality is is that women have still not gained in terms of economics, as well as the social elements around health care, parity around wages that we should. If you look at the statistics, we continue to lag. And ultimately, it has been 100 years since the Voting Rights Act Why have we still yet not achieved that particular parity on so many different levels? There are many reasons. But me being an African-American female, I have to speak from an African-American perspective because when we talk about women, all women are not treated the same and are equally. There is a concept known as intersectionality. Me being a female that's African-American, I contend with two different charges. And when you look at a comparison between pay, access to resources, opportunities within corporations, statistically there are distinctions. So we have to work to change that. Next slide, please. How do women do this? We can't do it alone. Number one, I talk about allies. It's critical and important that we have allies within our corporations, And I'm speaking from a corporate perspective. That's internally as well as externally. I don't care how hard we may work, the degrees that we ultimately have. You do need sponsors and you do need others to help to position you as well. Mentorship is critical and important. As women, often we do not advocate for ourselves. We're looking for others to advocate for us and others do have to advocate for us. But we have to bring ourselves present and center as well. We have to support each other. Unfortunately, I often witness where we do not partner and we do not support each other always. We have to get beyond that, and it's key that we learn to do that. We have to take risk. It's often said that women don't take as many risks as men. There are multiple reasons that contribute to that, but we have to think about how we do get beyond that as well. Always being flexible and open to change. And I know some people will always say, how can I be flexible and open to change when I have so many different limitations? But we have to ultimately think through this. We have to be open. When I think about myself in the utility industry, I would have never said 12 years ago, and I've been in the industry for 12 years, that I would be in the utility industry. I took a chance and I took an opportunity and here I am today. People said, Donna, Why are you going to PEPCO? You're going in as a senior public affairs manager. You are regressing as it relates to your position. And I knew that I would go into that particular role, but I knew that there were opportunities for growth and I did grow by being determined by ultimately delivering in the areas that I had to deliver on. Last, I wanna say we have to be very intentional as well as deliberate. Things do not happen for us in terms of gender in terms of race by chance there are systemic elements that have to be broken down it takes policy it takes community it takes government it takes businesses being a part of a corporation we have an awesome responsibility we recently established a racial equity task force that task force has to be sustainable. We have to break down barriers internally within our company as well as externally. And more importantly, we can't do it alone. We view ourselves as being critical to change and we are having the resources that are necessary to help drive that change and we're committed to doing so. So on today, celebrating Women's History Month, knowing that it's not just the month, but 365 days a year. We're going to have to continue to work aggressively to ensure that we have the equity and the parity that all women truly deserve. And as a company, we're committed to being a partner to achieve that. Thank you. At this time, I would like to turn it over to
3: Heidi.
0: A little technical difficulty, huh? With you. Right, an
4: hearing <laughs> problem here. Okay, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to go with one. Okay, <laughs> thank you, and good afternoon. Thank you to the Deputy Mayor's Office for including me on this panel. I'm Heidi Shepherd, and I'm the Project Director for the DC Women's Business Center. My team is Sade McCoy, Communication Specialist, Monty Taylor, Resource Coordinator, and Latoria Brent, Small Business Counselor. Next slide, please. So before into, before I launch into a lot of data, I want to give you a little bit about my background. I started a small business, Endless Possibilities, in 1990 in Madison, Wisconsin. It grew out of my love of cooking, but also I found there was a demand for fresh pasta. There was a gap in the fresh pasta market, and I found a partner, a pesto manufacturer. I sold my products at the farmer's market. But like many entrepreneurs, I didn't know about the resources available to me, such as a small business administration and women's business centers. I didn't have a well-thought-out business plan or financials. And when I went to get a loan at a bank, I was turned down. As a young woman, I didn't have enough collateral. But had I met with a business assistance provider, maybe endless possibilities would be an ongoing concern right now. So after selling the business, I went to business school. Launching My Career, Helping Entrepreneurs. Next slide, please. So the DCWBC provides free one-on-one counseling, webinars, networking, access to capital resources, and all types of information for women entrepreneurs in the DC metro region. We're part of a network of 150 women's business centers around the country, all of which are funded by the SBA and designed specifically to deliver assistance to women. We are hosted by NCRC, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. Today I want to talk about why we need such an entity as as Women's Small Business Center. That is specifically for women entrepreneurs. I will show that there exists an endemic bias against women entrepreneurs and that WBCs are needed to provide the supportive ecosystem in which women entrepreneurs can grow their business. Next slide please. So first, a little information about the D.C. Uh, entrepreneur women entrepreneurs. Between 2014 and 2019, D.C. was in the top 10 metropolitan areas with the highest employment growth rate by women-owned businesses. The number of D.C. women-owned businesses increased 21%, while all businesses increased only 9%. Mirroring the U.S. statistics in 2020, of all businesses in D.C. are owned by women. But there is a need for more information on the current state of women entrepreneurs in the D.C. region. Thus, NCRC and and the Women's Business Center are conducting a research study and a survey with the final report to be released at the end of March. So my subsequent slides show U.S. data. But this data can be extrapolated to be relevant for the D.C. environment. First of all, the potential of women entrepreneurs for spurring economic growth has not been fully realized. While 42% of all businesses are owned by women, just 25% of women business owners seek business financing. Women business owners are less likely to seek business loans than males, and they ask for significantly less funding. With the right financial resources, women-owned businesses can add even more jobs and help spur economic growth since an increase in funding leads to an increase in revenue and subsequent job creation. 42% of all businesses are owned by women. However, they generate just 4.3% of total revenue per year, and this is nationally. So why these disparities? 50% of women-owned businesses are concentrated in three industries, typically those that generate lower revenues. Services, such as hair salons, nail salons, pet care, healthcare and social services, such as child daycare centers and home healthcare aides, and professional scientific technical services like bookkeepers and accountants and consultants. Women entrepreneurs ask for less financial, and receive less financial resources, and studies show that this is due to fear of rejection. Also, women are less likely to receive funding for for early stage ventures from angel investors, as well as financing from VC firms, both of which typically fund high growth industries, not the three that I mentioned earlier. Most equity investment firms are owned by men. Female representation in venture firms overall is staggeringly low. Only 65% of VC firms in the U.S. still do not have any female partners. Finally. Women lead in sidepreneurship. Next slide, please. What is sidepreneurship? Sidepreneurship are part-time entrepreneurs. However, they often produce low revenue growth. Revenue growth is driven by an increase in the number of part-time firms and not by the increase in average revenue per firm. In addition, sidepreneurs are often people who start businesses when they're a uh, current full-time job ends, and when they return to the full-time job, they end their sidepreneur. There may be another reason, there may be a reason for another disparity in 2019. Women of color accounted for 50% of all women-owned businesses, but only made up approximately 27% of total revenue. If the average revenue of minority women-owned firms matched that of white women-owned businesses, 4 million new jobs and 981 billion in revenue would be added.
0: Mm.
4: Next slide. So women were starting businesses in droves in 19, in, sorry, 2019. They started 1,821 net new businesses every day. 64% of new women-owned businesses were started by women of color. Latino women-owned businesses grew more than, grew by more than 87% that year. But while women started 30% of new businesses, what's what's, uh, especially notable is that their businesses had the same survival rate as their male counterparts. In 2020, the effects of COVID on women-owned businesses was great. Female-owned businesses in the U.S. plummeted 25% between February and April of 2020. 42% of owners had to lay off employees, Male business owners received an average of $6,655 more per paycheck protection product than female business owners. And around 3.4 male-owned businesses received a PPP loan for every female-owned business. Women received less information regarding the current federal PPP programs, and they were told they qualified for a loan less frequently than men, despite being equally qualified. Next slide, please. But there is hope, exclamation point. In 2020, due to the COVID uh, pandemic, 68% of all businesses were able to pivot their business model, either permanently or temporarily. And heading into 2021, small business owners are remarkably optimistic. 83% believe their business will perform better in 2021 than 2020, and 93% plan to hire in the new year. It is well documented that successful entrepreneurs need access to funding, training, and a robust support network. Research has found that peer-to-peer networks encourage women to set higher aspirations for their businesses, plan for growth, and embrace innovation. The D.C. Women's Business Center provides all of these to women entrepreneurs in the D.C. Metro region, and uh, we are here to help women entrepreneurs succeed. So thank you so much and I look forward to your questions.
1: Fantastic.
4: And now I'd like to hand it over to Dr. Carolyn Rudd, Chair of the D.C. Chamber of Commerce. Good afternoon and I am indeed
3: honored to be a part of this panel this afternoon and I want to thank the Mayor and the Deputy Mayor, the Director of the Office of Women's Policy and Initiative and Ms. Cook for your invitation. Uh, I was told that we could relax and just be organic and have a conversation, so I plan to do that. (laughs) You'll probably find out some things about Carolyn Rudd that you did not know today. So who is Carolyn Rudd? I am the oldest of four children. My father was a Baptist minister, and as you know, I'm a PK. That's a preacher's kid. (laughs) Sometimes that's not always a good description, but I think it's a pretty good description. I was not the average preacher's kid. Uh, I graduated valedictorian of my high school class in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, uh, at the end of segregation and the beginning of integration. Uh, what you probably did not know about me is that I was the best trombonist player in the county. Nice. A trombone player. No one ever knew that I could play the trombone. So after I graduated from high school. I attended Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia, where I received a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And I'm so excited because Virginia State, as a historically black college and university, prepared me for what was coming next. I entered the College of William & Mary at the age of 25. William & Mary is the second oldest institution in the country, and I knew that I was prepared to compete. I entered at age 25 to uh, pursue a doctoral degree. I was the youngest in the class, and most of the time, the only female, but that did not deter me, and I was able to obtain that degree at the age of 28. I moved to Washington, D.C. in the early 80s, Um, didn't particularly care for the city initially, but I learned to love the city, and I began serving the city in many capacities. Uh, as I built my company, I served on many community boards, including the uh, Family Matters of Greater Washington, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, and Greater Leadership Greater Washington. Currently, I chair the DC Chamber of Commerce Board, and I also sit on the Board of Trustees for the University of the District of Columbia, our public institution. And Donna, I want to thank you and Pepco your contributions in helping our students during these times of the pandemic. Next slide please. So I'm here in two capacities today. I'm here as president of CRP Incorporated which is a company that I started in 1988. I'm the founder, CEO, and president of CRP Incorporated. Uh, it's a minority woman-owned company. Uh, We're certified here in the District of Columbia as a certified business enterprise and we provide technological solutions to our clients. Uh, Our areas of uh, services include research, data and statistical analysis, program evaluation, logistics and meeting planning. That is face-to-face and of course we had to pivot and now we're doing a lot of virtual meetings. The pandemic has brought a lot of success to CRP. We went from a staff of 20 core staff members, 20 employees, to over 100 employees since the pandemic. How did we do that? We were given an opportunity to provide staffing for several call centers here in the district. A major uh, company in the Washington metropolitan area was looking for a certified business enterprise. And here again, through relationships that you develop, doing service, my company was recognized to be the company to work with this company to provide customer service representatives. So CRP did a pivot. Uh, We were able to uh, establish some high level recruiting practices, uh, also interviewing practices and onboarding practices And we must have combed about 400 resumes. And we interviewed over 100 individuals. And now we are up to 125 individuals that we have hired uh, within the District of Columbia. These are young people who are residents of the district. And we're happy about that. CRP was selected as the 2017 uh, Small Business of the Year by the D.C. Chamber. And in 2018, we were listed among the top 100 minority businesses in the DMV. Next slide, please. So we're talking about Women's History Month. So leading from a woman's perspective, when I wake up in the morning, there are drivers, there are things that I think of. So all of the words that you see on the screen, racial inequity, disparity, women's equality, pandemic impact the highest rate of unemployment, gender equality, a fragmented democracy, these are the drivers that keep me going from day to day as president of CRP Incorporated, and also as my role chairing the DC Chamber. These drivers bring challenges, and then the challenges bring opportunities for us to do better. Within CRP, our challenge has been to keep our staff engaged and uplifted. Uh, another challenge is to avoid 12-hour workdays, because now, because of the elimination of travel, you have a tendency to work long hours, but we turn those challenges into opportunities. And as I said, we have been blessed that we were able to hire over 100 new people and I want to make sure that everyone understands the importance of this, these new hires. Many of them, the majority of them, are residents of the District of Columbia because I do believe in First Swords. I believe in local first. And of those 75% who are women, also, I believe that it's important that we put our women back to work. It's important that CRP takes a stand in terms of helping the district reopen and bringing back uh, the economy on the dc chamber side yes we have had lots of challenges as we know the city has suffered many of our small businesses have uh, gone out of business but many of them are still struggling trying to sustain so it is the role of the dc chamber to try to help these businesses and so how are we doing that we're doing it because we are partnering with the district government helping these small businesses apply for PPP loans. We are also trying to assess what are the needs of the small businesses in the community. It's not an easy challenge, but we're trying to make it work. Some of the opportunities that the pandemic has offered us is that, yes, we're looking at how do we get women back to work. So one of the things that we have immediately done under my chairmanship at the chamber is we started a new committee called Women in Business. We have also started a construction committee. You know, construction is a big industry in the district and we need to make absolutely sure that our minority businesses and our women-owned businesses are part of this construction boom that was taking place before the pandemic. So those are the things that caused us to work extremely hard at CRP and also with the chamber. The next slide, please. People often ask me, how did you become successful? My success is built on the shoulders of many. I think it's important that as a minority woman-owned business that you build strong networks, that you build strong working relationships. Those relationships are personal and professional. Developing a loyal and committed staff. Notice that I used the word developing. I did not say hire. You can hire people, but they are not necessarily loyal to you. So how do you do that? Um, I take it seriously when I hire individuals in my company. I take it very, very seriously. It's my responsibility to help them grow, to make sure that uh, they are receiving competitive salaries, uh, because living in Washington, D.C., is no joke. Uh, You need to make sure that you're paying your staff uh, comparable salaries so that they will stay with you. Also, providing my staff with professional development is important because that's how they grow. And if your staff does not grow, then the company does not grow. Providing quality services, that's a no-brainer. The relationship that you build will get your foot in the door but the delivery of quality services will keep you in the room. Um, Another service, uh, another tenant, I should say, in terms of being successful is being available and flexible for your clients. I'm sure that Donna would say that, yes, she has small businesses that she works with, and she wants to make sure that those businesses are not just available from from nine to five. There are oftentimes that... Uh, your client will need you to be available to provide services to to them beyond those um, business hours. I call that value-added services, and I think the value-added services that you provide as a business will make other businesses know that you are the one for them. A mantra that I tend to live by is to whom much is given, much is expected and required. Of course, it's paraphrased from a biblical scripture, but I live by that mantra, and I believe that that mantra means that when you're blessed, you let people know that you're blessed. I refuse to use the term lucky. I don't think that I'm lucky. My success has not been lucky. It has been my blessing. And how do I define blessing? Blessing is a crossroad between being prepared and having the opportunity. So I want to thank you all for inviting me today, and I look forward to continuing the conversation during the Q&A session. Thank you.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so excited. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer, obviously, and Donna, Heidi, Carolyn. I have I have one question I want to kick off the, the Q&A. and And for everyone that's listening and watching, Uh, Please note that the phone lines are open. Um, Please press zero so that you can get in the queue if you'd like to ask any questions. Uh, But I did want to kick off with one. And um, hearing the the commitment around the work that you all are doing and hearing a little bit about your personal stories, and obviously this is an opportunity for us to talk about SheRose, and so we see you all as leaders, right? And so, uh, and thinking about that, how do you all define leadership? How do you define that for yourself? And anyone can start. (laughs) I'll start. Um, So for
2: me, when I think of the term leader, I really think of the concept of inclusivity uh, because Mm -hmm. you have to be inclusive. There was something that I heard uh, the doctor say a few minutes ago, which is that you have to really grow and you have to develop individuals you have to also be a visionary. So you have to be an individual who is receptive to receiving information. You have to have, be, have a vision. You have to be able to be inclusive. You cannot operate within silos. As a leader, you have to be willing to take risk. You have to be willing to take chances. Um, when I think about, and I talked about this in my personal story a little bit about civil rights, The people who fought for civil rights, who fought against slavery, they took on many challenges, and it wasn't just being concerned about just themselves. When I think about someone like Harriet Tubman, who had really escaped slavery, but went back in order to really be able to protect and to extend that particular freedom to others. It's being uncomfortable. It's being thoughtful. It's really driving change. It's really being able to identify particular goals and having others really to work with you. People always like to say to follow you. A Mm -hmm. leader has someone to follow them. It's really having people to buy into your particular vision, to give you ideas, to help to shape that and you work in partnership to achieve those broader goals.
0: I think one thing I I enjoyed uh, that you said is uncomfortable. The idea of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, Um, you know, because that's where growth comes from. Um, That's where you uh, develop relationships. Uh, That's where trust comes from. Um, And it also challenges and pushes you. So I I love the fact that you had mentioned that, but wondered Heidi and and Carolyn, if you had any thoughts about uh, how do you guys define leadership?
4: Right. No, Donna, I think what you said was right on the mark. And I just wrote down some words. Um, one in particular, I think a leader is an activator and somebody who serves as a model for others and upholds good morals and ethics and good judgment, makes good judgment, but also is able to accept flaws in themselves mm-hmm. and others be vulnerable, be tolerant, um, be accepting, and be collaborative.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Heidi. Carolyn?
3: I define leadership as the ability to motivate people Mm. um, and also the ability to give and receive respect. Uh, I also Mm. think that leadership is the self-growth, the growth that comes with integrity, and transparency. That's how I define leadership. Oh,
0: that's
1: fantastic. I don't know, Jennifer, if you wanted to add any Yeah, I think, questions. you know, when I think about uh, leadership and especially thinking about women's history mm-hmm. uh, and, and just kind of the celebration that we're having this month, there's so many women across our city uh, and across our country that just found themselves in leadership. They found themselves at the... the nexus of an issue and they became the solution and they became leaders and galvanizing folks to support it. And so I love that when um, Dr. Rudd was talking about her business, we've all been talking about the pivot and how we needed to pivot and just finding ourselves at moments like that where we're able to rise. And so I really think that leadership is is really uh, rising to the occasion, Mm -hmm. but echoing so much of what our leaders and our guests share as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm
0: yeah it brings me to you know Heidi you had mentioned some really uh, fascinating stats around how uh women um are not necessarily applying in droves to 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 resources and uh, you know wondering obviously what's triggering that are there resources through uh your organization that women can tap into? I know that you're working uh probably a lot with Department of Small and Local Business and other partners as well, but I'm assuming that there are opportunities for training, development, that kind of thing, and wondering, you know, how do we come combat that and, you know, try to create opportunities for more women to apply to these opportunities.
4: Right. So, thank you. So, um, Number one, people can, anybody who's interested, any woman or man for that matter, can come to the DC Women's Business Center website, sign up for free counseling. We have one-on-one counseling sessions where we will help um, women access funding resources. We also have a resource guide that's an ongoing and ever-changing guide that we continue to update on our website. Uh, we have information on funding resources, helping women to apply for loans, uh, whether it's a PPP loan or some other loan, um, helping women write grants because there are grants for women entrepreneurs coming out there and, uh, um, crowdfunding. Crowdfunding has been shown to be mm. remarkably successful for women, much more so for women than men. And we have a crowdfunding toolkit that will be coming out relatively soon. And we have a blog and crowdfunding, and we can direct uh, women entrepreneurs to those resources as well. We have webinars that are upcoming mm-hmm. on all sorts of topics uh, that are relevant and important to women small business owners, and I welcome anybody to come to our website and find out the events and register right there.
0: Thank you so much, Heidi. I had another question when I was listening to your presentation. You had mentioned that when it does come to women applying for access to capital, they're typically asking for significantly less than our male counterparts. Why do you think that is?
4: I think it's the, you know, women don't feel as confident.
0: Mm. Women don't
4: feel like they deserve ask for the most. The same thing is in salary discussions, right? Women typically don't realize their own worth and they don't ask for it, whereas men probably (laughs) overextend it. Um, But I think it has a lot to do with a deep-seated emotional belief in that we're not worth as much.
0: Mm -hmm. I know, um, Donna, when you were talking, you talked a lot about um, the work um, with Pepco, and it's clear that um, not only your personal um, uh, vision and passions align with Pepco's, um, and so you were talking a little bit about workforce and some of the things that you all were doing and um, hiring uh, people of color, African Americans in particular. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit if folks haven't heard about some of the work that PEPCO has been doing, uh, particularly with DOES and the Infrastructure Academy and some of the things the 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 experiences you guys have had, I think you're probably maybe on your third or fourth uh cycle um through the cohort. infrastructure care. is cohort, absolutely. <laughs> and so it's been really exciting to witness and, and if folks haven't heard, I'd love for, for you to share a little bit about some of that work that Pepco's been okay. doing.
2: So I would like to just share a little bit about the Infrastructure Academy. First of all, going back to our leader in the District of Columbia, Mayor Bowser, uh, who started the D.C. Infrastructure Academy, and Pepco is one of the partners of the Infrastructure Academy. When I talk about our corporation again, we have major infrastructure projects. We're investing literally billions of dollars in the system. And the question is, who is benefiting from those particular opportunities. The Infrastructure Academy has been designed to create a pipeline for individuals that are local in the city to be connected with not jobs, I like to use the term careers. And so we're connecting people locally through a training program, through the Infrastructure Academy. We literally are on the ground at the Infrastructure Academy, meaning individuals who work for PEPCO, with the training, assisting with the classroom elements, because in our industry, there is a test that students have to take for infrastructure. And for whatever reason, and we can kind of surmise what some of those challenges are, students were not passing those tests. And that led to a barrier for those individuals to come into our industry. So how do we knock down barriers? You create opportunities with the training programs to provide that particular access. So right now, we do have a new cohort. It's probably the third cohort that's just starting and kicking off. We started off under the Infrastructure Academy with having around 50 students on an annual basis. We have committed now annually in 2021 to 100 to 120 students on an annual basis. And let me tell you what the separation is. When we talk about training programs, it's not about training people for opportunities. Every individual that comes through that particular training program is getting a career opportunity. They're being hired. That's either through PEPCO or our contract partners. What I do not like is for people to be trained, and at the end of the day, there are no opportunities for them. So that is the criticality that is associated with that particular program, that we're connecting people in our communities to these opportunities. We serve the people, so we have to ensure that the people in our communities are being connected to the opportunities.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Donna. I wanted to to flag that only because uh, I was hearing... Uh, how um, how uh, uh, Carolyn had talked about her commitment in hiring district residents and, and developing individuals and when you hire and taking it very seriously. And so I wanted to flag that I knew that PEPCO was also doing something very similar when they think about workforce. And so another question that I had is, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna take this off for a second because I, I can't breathe completely. But as we think about what's been happening in the pandemic uh, from a personal and professional professional perspective, how has this changed your outlook in the last 11 months, whether personally or professionally? Uh, How do you view your work, your life? Has anything changed for you uh, or uh, enlightened something or enhanced uh, how you think of your outlook?
4: Well, for me,
3: Professionally, I've been pleased with what has happened. Um I'm not pleased, of course, because we have the pandemic, but I'm pleased that CRP has had the opportunity to hire people. And uh again, as I said, the young people that we've hired, and most of them are young people. Uh they need a job. Uh they wanted to work, and they are doing a great job for uh, CRP and for the city and it makes me feel really really good that we're able to, to do that and it has placed us in a very good place. Uh, for me professionally as an individual I'm working more hours than I've ever worked but I feel good about it. Uh, one of the things that I talked about somewhat in some of the challenges the pandemic has brought to the forefront mental health issues. Um, And weekly as we have our staff um, all hands on deck check in, I say to my team, it's okay to admit that you're feeling somewhat different. The pandemic has caused that. It has caused me to sometimes wonder what is going on. Um, But to know that there's help and that we can speak about it, we can talk about it. I think it's important that we Share resources, and how do you move forward when you get into a slump? But also, I think it's important that we help each other. Um, You know, this is a great city, and we have really uh, struggled. Uh, As I was coming down today, I said, "Oh, things are beginning to change just somewhat." Because about two or three months ago, it looked like a ghost town, but now we're seeing movement, and hopefully. Uh, over the course of the next month or two, we'll see more movement. So I'm, I'm positive, I'm optimistic, and I think we need to just press on and try to be as positive as we possibly can and, and take um, the negativity, if you will, of the pandemic and try to turn it into something positive. Because I know with the Chamber, we have a lot of work to do to help our businesses get back um, in business, to reopen, um, to reimagine, and to pivot. So I'm optimistic that things will get better.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
4: Heidi? Did yeah, I just did wanted, wanted to add, um, one of the things the pandemic uh, brought to light for me is my privilege as somebody who is able to work from home. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't have to face numerous people in a grocery store line. Um, but I could work from home, the safety of my home, where I didn't have to wear a mask 24-7, um, and felt much safer. And so I really, um, appreciated that and recognized that. Um, I would also recognize how exhausting it is. And, uh, I could definitely get Zoom burnout by the end of the day, usually. Um, and I'm working harder, but also, and finally, I feel like it's a time to be more humane to each other and more humane to ourselves and be forgiving of mistakes we might made or blunders we might make or our staff may make exactly because of the mental health challenges mm-hmm. this is uh, brought to bear for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, thank you so much. I,
2: that's really helpful. Uh, for me, I, I, when I reflect on it, I think about how vulnerable We can all be, realistically. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought that we would have ever experienced a pandemic? And there was a term that has been used around privilege, because when I think about it personally as well as professionally, because we're an essential business, we're continuing to operate. So many businesses have closed. So the question is, as we're reflecting, what can we do to build a more resilient society? Uh, We often hear about the safety net as it relates to individuals who are most challenged, who are on the front lines, who are the caregivers, again, going to a lot of our women. And for me, it has to be more than a safety net. It really magnified how vulnerable many of us realistically are. I read a story very recently of a young female around nine years of age, and she was on a Zoom-type platform with her class and she broke down in tears. Mm -hmm. And they asked her what was wrong, and she said literally, we're starving. Mm -hmm. And at that particular point in time, the teacher was able to assist along with other support services with getting the assistance that her mother needed, as well as getting her connected with an opportunity such as a job or a career path. But when I say that, think about how many other children and other adults are in very similar type situations. So the reality for me professionally, I work long hours Mm -hmm. as many of us do. But at the end of the day, I'm thankful for being able to have a job Mm -hmm. and to be working. And then number two, it magnifies for me again with the resources that our company and that we have, how can we assist? How can we drive, how can we close the gaps that we know that do exist? How do we create a more resilient society? Something that I did not mention, I am the co-chair of the Washington, D.C. Economic Partnership, working very closely with you, Sabangale. So in that particular role, when I think about the partnership, which is about attraction, retention, expansion of business opportunities, one of the things that I've talked about how do we begin to look at this in a deeper way how do we become much more strategic we talk about the economy in the district and how it is structured but what can we do to make it even more resilient and buffer it from the very issues that we realistically experience and Mm -hmm. are continuing to experience but I'll say this the decisions that have been made in the District of Columbia we are so far ahead of others in this country So that goes off to the leadership again but then how do we prepare because one thing i say in society society is about cycles the economy is about cycles unfortunately this will not be the last so how do we learn from it
0: and how do we do better thank you so much and with that this is why these ladies are our leaders uh, and why they're here today Uh, i would like to say thank you to these ladies thank you so much everyone else for joining us today Uh, Before we close, just remember, still shop in the district. There's a website for that. Also, for more information for any of the weekly recovery check-ins, please go to coronavirus.dc.gov backslash recovery, uh, and be sure to mask up DC. Uh, With that, thank you so much. That does conclude our weekly recovery check-in today.